Can we invite you to turn, please, for our scripture reading to the book of Ezekiel? <coughs> Ezekiel chapter 22. <coughs> Ezekiel 22, and we'll break in at verse 17 of the chapter. Verse 17, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, the house of Israel is to me become dross. All they are brass and tin and iron and lead in the midst of the furnace. They are even the dross of silver. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, because ye are all become dross, behold, therefore I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. As they gather silver and brass and iron and lead and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow the fire upon it, to melt it, so will I gather you in mine anger and in my fury. And I will leave you there and melt you. Yea, I will gather you and blow upon you in the fire of my wrath, and ye shall be melted in the midst thereof. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall ye be melted in the midst thereof, and ye shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my fury upon you. And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, say unto her, Thou art the land that is not cleansed, nor reigned upon in the day of indignation. There is a conspiracy of her prophets in the midst thereof, like a roaring lion ravening the prey. They have devoured souls, they have taken the treasure and precious things. They have made her many widows in the midst thereof. Her priests have violated my law and have profaned mine holy things. They have put no difference between the holy and profane. Neither have they showed difference between the unclean and the clean and have hid their eyes from my Sabbaths and I am profaned among them. Her princes in the midst thereof are like wolves ravening the prey to shed blood and to destroy souls, to get dishonest gain. And her prophets have daubed them with untempered mortar, seeing vanity and divining lies unto them, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord hath not spoken. The people of the land have used oppression and exercised robbery, and have vexed the poor and needy. Yea, they have oppressed the stranger wrongfully. And I sought for a man among them, that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. And therefore have I poured out mine indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. Amen. May the Lord bless these words <coughs> to our hearts for his name's sake. Just at this point... Ezekiel 22 and 30, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it. But I found none. We need God's help as we turn to his word. Shall we unite our hearts for a moment in prayer, please? <coughs> our Father, we lift up before thee today those who are heavy of heart, 
names have been mentioned. Some have lost loved ones in recent days. Lord, we, we have to acknowledge we're, we're no stranger to death. It's all around us. We see it every day. And throughout the days of this week, others have been <coughs> brought to pass through this valley of the shadow. Hearts are heavy today. Some have lost little ones. Some have lost long-time friends, family members. Oh, we thank thee that thou art the God of all comfort. Our prayer would be, Lord, that in times like this, when, when hearts are softened, that what oh, it would please thee to speak. There are no accidents with thee. We pray that, that thou wilt speak to the child of God who has been brought to suffer the loss of a dear one, that thy grace and comfort might prove all sufficient. And any who know not the Saviour might be challenged, might be brought to recognize that it is appointed unto all men once to die. But after this, the judgment, we would pray, therefore, that any who do lose loved ones and they don't know the Lord, that they might see reason, might see the, the importance of making ready themselves for the great eternity. As we look into thy word, we ask of thee, Lord, to just come thyself and help us to focus upon thee. Take this frail vessel of clay, grant to us the infilling of thy Holy Spirit with wisdom. Lord, cause us to hear thy speaking voice. We wouldn't want the flesh to have any part in the meeting. But we pray for an ear for the word of God. And we pray that thou wilt be the speaker. Bless the word to us. Do our souls good. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking there just this morning that there's only, what, a few years ago we were hit with what they termed the credit crunch. My heart shook the world. And people, uh, in many instances, panicked. People wondered what's happening. It's almost as if our whole society was coming down around us. And there was such an upheaval in the financial and business world. People wondered, as the end come, how are we going to get through this? But isn't it so, beloved, that we have adjusted to the circumstances? We now live with it. And we've learned to cope. Yes, we've probably all had to make adjustments, but we're coping by the grace of God. In more recent days, the focus seems to have moved to that of the threat to, to national security by Islamic groups, things like that. Are we going to learn to cope with that too? Will we adjust? Are we concerned about our, our future how it's going to affect our children, our grandchildren? What, what, what kind of world are, are people bringing children into today? And certainly this world is no friend to, to people's souls. I mean, we may well get used to the threat of terror. Of course, this province is no stranger to it. There may well come something else in a day to come that will focus our, our gaze in another direction. You know, somewhere behind all this, there's, 
There, there is this, perhaps it's a non-spoken cry, but the, the cry of the heart is there in many individuals. We need somebody, we need a man to lead us out of this. And the world is clamoring for a leader. Oh, that somebody could come along with, with all the right answers. I, I'm not interested in, in politics, not for one minute. And I'm not here to talk politics. But the world is looking for a leader in the political realm. They're looking for someone in the financial realm. Someone who will lead this world back to stability of some kind. Some kind of peace and quiet. There's no harm in dreaming. But I don't think it's going it's not going to happen the way people would expect or would like it to happen. But the world is looking for somebody. A man. And of course we know from the scriptures that that man will be. He's going to come, all right. He'll appear. He'll be the Antichrist. And he will have all the, the answers, supposedly, uh, to the world's great needs. And, and people will think he's the greatest thing since sliced pan. And he will have all the necessary solutions for a, a peaceful world government the, the world's finances suddenly, I, I believe, will, will, will settle down and everybody will think we've arrived. But what they don't take into account is that this man is the devil's agent. He's the Antichrist. He is against God. And woe betide the multitudes who will flock after him. Oh, they literally worship at his feet. They think there's nobody like him. But woe betide those who give allegiance to him. The most wanted man in the world he's been described as. We don't know his identity yet. But he's coming. But there's another man who's wanted. And he may well be in this meeting. I, I put it to you that God is looking for a man, not the world. God's looking for a man. And there's a, there's a great need today for this individual to come and give himself to the Lord because God has a work to do. We read in this chapter here, it has to do principally with Jerusalem. Its teaching is perfectly applicable in our day and in our situation. Especially to those gathered in this meeting house. And I ask you to give close attention to it, please, because I believe the Lord has laid this upon our hearts for today. Basically, the religious leaders in Jerusalem were responsible for the moral climate of the nation simply because God had chosen them to lead. People may not be aware of it. I firmly believe in my heart that it is God's people who keep the nation on track. That's why we seek the Lord in prayer. That's why we have prayer meetings. That's why we have worship services. It's the praying people of God who keep the nation on its feet. Now this land of ours is in a bit of a mess. Britain's in an awful state today. But I think she would be far worse were it not for the praying people of God. Let's get a hold of that, beloved. Your prayers are important for the future of the nation. 
You might not think it. The devil wouldn't want you to think it. He'll have you believe you're a nobody. You're a nothing. Well, take it from God. This nation depends. This country is only kept, I believe, from absolute disaster because of the prayers of the people of God. Now, beloved, if you get nothing from this word, do you get this? The life of every child of God is of the utmost importance because God has chosen you and saved you and put you in this scene of time at this age, in this very district, to be a witness for him. This is where he has placed you. We sang the words earlier, Jesus bids us shine. Are you shining for him? Not one of us can shrug his shoulders and say, well, this doesn't apply to me because it does. God didn't cause you to be born in Ulster for nothing. He hasn't got you in this house for nothing. He has you here for a purpose. And because of the, the level of onslaught being pursued by the devil in these times, it's imperative that we pray one for another, that each of us may be enabled by God's grace to keep our testimony and our moral and spiritual integrity. None of us can take on the agents of hell on our own. We are we, no match for the devil. We need the help of God, the Holy Spirit, probably in far greater measure than we realize. And I trust you are praying every day for the work in this house, that God will keep it pure and keep the devil out. Every child of God, I say every believer, has a bigger responsibility resting upon his shoulders than many of us realize. The Christian is God's ambassador in the district where he lives. So he must be at his best for God at all times. And we can't say, well, aye, that's all right for your man there. He's, he's educated or he has such certain qualities or he has certain abilities. It's for every one of us, beloved. And what wasn't, this wasn't happening in Jerusalem. Regrettably, neither is it happening in this country. People are not on fire for God the way they might be, the way they should be. And I'm not going to be critical of people in Off This applies to the preacher just as much. There, there is a, there, there's a coldness today, and we've all been smitten by it. And we need to take stock as just how we stand with the Lord. God is looking for a man to take up the fight for truth and righteousness with a sense of urgency. Remember that man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. But judging by the state this country is in today, there's very little concern for the glory of God. Beloved, there's very little awareness today of God himself. I didn't hear the program during the week, but I understand on Talkback, the debate the other day was, Something along the lines, does, does Ulster really need God anymore? Maybe you heard it. I, I haven't heard it, but I understand this was something along the lines of the top. Where have we got to? That this nation that has been so blessed with the gospel could actually consider the question, do we really need the Lord? What's wrong with us? As we come to this text, there, there are three things I want to notice, and they are important. Uh, given the, the spiritual climate, and we respectfully ask you not to allow your thoughts to wander from the message. Notice, first of all, God's desire. Verse 30, 
I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me. My God has a purpose in having his people in this land, as we've said. He, he's looking for a man. His people are here to be a hedge or a wall about the place to keep the devil out. No believer is exempt from this requirement. The principle uh, of the hedge is, is very strong in Scripture. Could I ask you to turn back for a moment to Genesis chapter 19? Uh, and here we have uh, the record of the destruction of Sodom. Genesis 19. God had purposed to rain his judgment down upon that wicked city, but there was one man standing in the way. <coughs> that one man was Lot. Now, Lot was never a strong Christian, but he was used of God nevertheless at this time. God sent his angels down from heaven to accomplish that fearful task of destroying that city because of the abominable activity that was going on there. But this one man was standing in the way. Weak though he was spiritually, at this point Lot was literally standing between God or rather between the men of Sodom and hell. One man was standing between the wrath of God and this ungodly city. And God had to tell him to get out of there. The sentence was already passed. Judgment must come to that hellish place, and this child of God must get out. Now, of course, Lot had never been in Sodom in the first place. He had no business being in such an ungodly environment. Indeed, he came very close to, to being caught up in that awful judgment that God visited upon the place. But then let me ask you today, beloved, and particularly our young people, are you mingling with the ungodly crowd? Where are you to be found at weekends? Are you in some place that is under sentence of the wrath of God? If God sends his wrath down upon that place some night and you're caught in the middle of it, where will that leave you? You know what God's message to you is? It's the same as his message here to Lot. Is get out of it. Whether you're saved or not, you have no business being in there. That environment is not good for your soul. You must get out and stay out. God has his people in this world, but they are not of the world. They're to be separated from it. Rather, we are to be a hedge against it. But notice what God said to Lot here. Look at verse 22 of Genesis 19. And this is God speaking. Notice what he says, verse 22, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou become hither. Beloved, take your pen and underline that. I cannot do anything till thou become thither. It was God's purpose to destroy that city. But God says, I, I, I can't do anything till you get out of it. Now maybe... Maybe you're not found in a worldly environment. Maybe you are in an earthly frame of mind. And uh, the message is the same. You need to get out of it. You need to get into that place of closer fellowship with the Lord. Why? Because the Lord says, I can't do anything with you when you're in that situation. I, I wonder if that's how 
Now, how does the world see you? We've said here that, that Lot wasn't a strong Christian. Indeed, he was in a backslidden state. He had dragged uh, God's standard down very, very low. His, his testimony meant nothing. And for the ungodly world around him, they, they couldn't see any difference between them and him. Is that where you would be found today? Is that how the world sees you? Is there, is there no line of demarcation between you and the world? You know, it's no use making the excuse, oh, but so-and-so's a Christian and he does far worse than I do. That, that'll not carry with God. If you're in the world, beloved, God says get out of it. I cannot do anything till you get out. You see that your friendship with the world is a hindrance to other people around you. It's a hindrance to yourself. It'll be a hindering thing to your family. And it, it, it will rob you of the blessing of God. If you should be so much at home in the things of this world as the ungodly, then you cannot be an influence for good in your community. Maybe somebody out there is interested in being saved, but your lifestyle, listen, the lifestyle of a child of God is the very thing that's holding that one back. That'd be a tragedy. Make no mistake about it, beloved. We'll all have to give account to God. And I would not want to be charged as being a hindrance to somebody else coming to Christ. God's looking for a man. He's looking for a man to separate himself from the world, to come out and stand for him, for Bible truth, for righteousness. God is looking for a man to stand in the gap between sinners in this district and the lost hell. Will you be that person? When it says God's looking for a man, he'll also use a woman. Will you make up the hedge? You know what's wrong with this country today? We have too many believers, or at least they're professing believers, and they're not sufficiently concerned that there is a gap. That's sad. It's too easy to get caught up in the speed of life and all that there is. I know there's all sorts of pressures. We all live with them. But why are we here? God has put us here for a purpose. I've heard people say it must have been wonderful to live way back in the Victorian age. People had far more respect for the things of God. People went to their church, didn't matter whether they were saved or not. They were found in God's house. They had a love for the Bible. They listened to the preacher. And things were rosy. Listen, God didn't put us in the Victorian age. We're here now, 21st century. But for the very same reason... We are here that we might live for him. We're here to stand in the gap, beloved. And the gap is widening all the time. Do we know what it is to stand? Now, there, there are plenty of people out there who will stand for this cause and that cause and, and any cause under the sun. Whatever happens to be dear to the heart, some will even will fight for a cause. But when it comes to the cause of precious souls on their way to a lost eternity, why is it so hard to find somebody to come? 
and stand in the gap. What other cause can be more important than this? Could it be that the Lord, could, could it be that you are in the Lord's work, but you're not really in the Lord's will? That's possible. You could be heavily involved in the things of the church, but you may be not doing the thing the Lord wants you to be doing. He maybe wants you somewhere else. There's something you have to seek the Lord about personally. Getting into that place where the will of the flesh isn't taking a stand for God, that, that there's something wrong. God's looking for a man to stand against the things of the flesh today. In Exodus 32, we read of Moses going up to the mountain to, to meet with God. And when he delayed to come down, uh, the people decided to make for themselves that golden calf. We, we sang about it earlier in the Psalm 106. But when God saw their actions, he was understandably wroth with them and would have devoured them except that Moses pleaded with the Lord to show mercy. Moses stood in the gap between the people and God's wrath. And then in Numbers 16.45, we read concerning this incident that Moses said unto Aaron, Take a censer and put fire therein from off the altar and put on incense and go quickly unto the congregation and make an atonement for them. For there is wrath gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. And Aaron took as Moses commanded and ran into the midst of the congregation. And behold, the plague was begun among the people. And he put on incense and made an atonement for the people. And he stood, it says, between the dead and the living, and the plague was stead. We often hear people offering to forgive someone who has committed some horrible deed against them, against their family. But beloved, there can be no forgiveness unless there's atonement made. God doesn't forgive people willy-nilly unless they repent. Aaron ran into the midst of the congregation with the instruments of atonement in his hand. Moses could have stood back and let the Lord deal with the people on account of their idolatry, but he didn't. What he was saying was, Lord, if you're going to destroy these people, you'll have to go through me first. He stood in the gap, and God heard his intercession. The wrath of God was already begun to break upon the nation, but Moses stood in the gap, and the nation lived. God's desire, I sought for a man. The second thought is God's design. Verse 30 again of Ezekiel 22. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it. Now we said a moment ago that it's the praying of God's people that keeps the nation on track. And it is. But today, beloved, there is a gap. The hedge is sadly, badly broken down. There's a gap in the mission field. There's scarcely a man prepared to go out as a missionary today. You know, people criticize women preachers. But if the men won't go, God will use the women. He'll have somebody stand in the gap. Our Bible college is crying out for students. We, we have, what is it, 14 or 15 vacant pulpits today? And not enough students coming forward. Why? 
Ought we not to be crying to God? Indeed, hasn't the Lord exhorted us? Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. How many of us have, how many of us pray that prayer? Do we care about the college? Do we care for these young men? Thank God for those young men who are in there. And for those who have recently come out and received a call, we thank God for them. We have some great young fellows in the college. Now, we're not praising men, but God has gifted the church with some very able young students, and we thank God for that. But there's not <coughs> enough. We need more. There's a gap out there. Is there a gap in the prayer meeting in this house? I thank God for those who joined with us this morning before the service. Could you have been there? Is there a gap at the midweek prayer time? What about this evening before the service? Will you be there, beloved? I had the privilege of been over in Calgary there just uh, from September through to November. And I, I mentioned this subject of the need for prayer. And some people think that the, the minister just walks to the platform and he delivers his message and it all just happens. It doesn't. Not only must he spend time with the Lord, but he needs the backing of the prayers of God's people. And what brings people to pray? Isn't it because they sense a need in their own hearts? Isn't that why we have prayer times? We can't drift through life without the Lord. I believe we have reached a time, and I've seen this in places that we're some of God's people are, are, are happy just to be on their way to heaven. But let the Lord do whatever he likes. As long as I'm saved, that's it. It's sealed for eternity. Well, if you're saved, you'll be in heaven, yes. But what's the point in being saved and then just leaving the Lord on the shelf? That's not living for God's glory. And there's a gap. People, uh, when God saves a soul, he calls them into a warfare. And then the, this warfare is intensifying by the hour. I mentioned earlier the, the threat of Islamic terrorism. And that's only one aspect. The, the devil is busier today than ever he was. Haven't we? The, I haven't heard any news lately. of the. I don't know what the update is on the Asher's Bakery situation. We have a war on our hands. And there's nobody seemingly to fill the gap and, and, and cry to the Lord. For this awful deficiency. Gap in our prayer meetings. Now we rejoice in the faithful few who do come. And hold up the work of God in prayer. Thank God for you. But everybody has a part to play. And every believer should be at as many prayer meetings as he can get to. And I don't mean any disrespect to any. Because I know sometimes family circumstances don't allow. But your home could be represented. I'm sure. There are empty seats. And this is not just in killing you. It's all across the board. There are empty seats in prayer meetings. And there are a lot of God's people. And they've, they've quit caring. There's something wrong. We need a fresh vision of Christ. A fresh vision for the great need of the hour in which we live. Do we believe that God can turn this nation around? Do we believe that God can send us a breath of revival? One man, a man said in one of our churches, shame to say it, 
He said, I don't see the need in praying for revival. We don't really need it. I don't know what planet he's living on. But we certainly need it. We've lost sight of the Lord. We've lost sight of what the Lord can do. Oh, for the Spirit of God to come upon us like he did in the 1920s. Ask yourself, beloved, what is more important to you? The place of prayer or your favorite seat in the meeting? Will God accept our excuses for absence? What about our young men? Our young ladies? What age will you be for you realize you need to call upon God? Is there a verse in the Bible that says it's not important for young people to pray? Doesn't the scripture say, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth? Prayer meetings are not for old people. They're for everybody. Every Christian should be at as many, as we've said, as many prayer meetings as possible. God's looking for a man to stand in the gap. You know, this denomination used to be renowned for its stand against apostasy. When that word was mentioned, people would, would, would nearly jump up and down with glee at the thought of hammering those denominations that, that used a perversion of the scriptures or, or were seen to uh, have some, seek some sort of fellowship with the Church of Rome. But we hardly hear that word used today. Yet this, this land is probably farther from God than ever it was. This nation is in apostasy, but guess where the fault lies? It lies with us, God's people. And then I wonder, did people get all excited because some preacher was, was taking a stand for the truth of God's word, or were they just glad of an excuse to release certain venom against their neighbors because they thought themselves better than they? You know, there are good people caught up in some of those denominations. And they need to be taught what apostasy is. It's a falling away from the standards that God has set in his word. But before we criticize them for their mistakes, what about us? How many in our own denomination have lost the desire for the old paths? And they're prepared to well, just drift along with no... Whatever line takes the least resistance. Beloved, listen, with the greatest of respect, if you are not desirous after the glory of God, does that not suggest that your own heart is backslidden? If you're not prepared to come and stand in the gap, or if you're not interested, let's be honest, your heart is backslidden, and you need to let that truth sink in. I'm preaching this to myself. Maybe some of you work with animals. You know the importance of keeping your hedges in good repair. If you don't, the animals will wander. But you know, in the spiritual realm today, it would seem in some instances that the hedge doesn't just have a gap in it. The whole hedge has been pulled out. In Ezekiel 13, 5, God says, Ye have not gone up into the gaps, neither made up the hedge for the house of Israel to stand in the battle in the day of the Lord. That nation was in distress. 
People may have, have blamed this, that and the other, but God says it's your own fault. You haven't gone up into the gaps. Here was God's charge against the nation. The enemy had come in like a flood, he says. You have stood back. You've let it happen. And if the gap isn't filled, the nation will perish altogether. Now we're talking principally about the, the gap in God's work. Remember what we said at the beginning. It's the prayers of God's people that keep the nation on track. Jeremiah 5 and 1, God said to the prophet, Run ye to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem, and see now and know and seek in the broad places thereof, if ye can find a man, if there be any that executeth judgment, that seeketh the truth, and I will pardon it. See, Moses was gone now. But in Jeremiah's day, Jerusalem was still failing the Lord, and God was still looking for a man. Now this wasn't, Babylon, this wasn't Sodom. This was Jerusalem, the, the, the spiritual capital. The very place where God's people are to be found. And God has to say to his servant, would you run and see if you can find a man to stand in the gap. You can sense the urgency in it. <coughs> when you think of it, Abraham cried to God on behalf of Sodom. God consented to spare the city if ten righteous people could be found there. Of course, we all know there weren't ten to be found. And here, God sends his servant Jeremiah into Jerusalem and God says, see if you can find me one man to stand in the gap. Never mind ten. See if there's one who will stand up for me. You know, as far as the people of God was concerned, Jerusalem was the best place on earth. <coughs> but is Ulster not one of the best places on earth ok we have a lot of grey skies damp weather but you know this land has enjoyed many privileges there's hardly a road that doesn't have a preaching house of some sort <coughs> you go 20 minutes in any direction you'll be at another free Presbyterian church this land is spoiled. And is so blessed. And yet, we can't get somebody to stand in the gap for God. Notice lastly in closing here, God's dismay. I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. We're talking here about the spiritual well-being of the land. You know, if the land isn't right spiritually, it'll never be right any other way. Righteousness exalteth a nation. Sin is a reproach to any people. And when we have a uh, we're, we're living under a government today that would, would quicker vouch for the murder of the unborn in their millions. It's grieving. Ulster and Britain as a whole is sliding down the tubes. We used to talk about the British Commonwealth. There's very little of it left. They've given so much away. But more than that, they are giving away their standards. 
And God's standards have been undermined left, right and centre. And this nation of ours is farther away from God today probably than ever she was before the Reformation. What's the purpose of a hedge? Doesn't it mark out a plot of ground as your territory? It, it indicates the dividing line between you and your neighbour. A hedge is a line of demarcation. It distinguishes your property from that of somebody else. Well, Satan would have you rip that hedge out altogether, but God says if there's ever a gap appears in the hedge, get in there and stand in that gap. Let nothing from either side, from the other side of the hedge get into your property to foul it up. Isn't this what's happening in this modernistic world? Hedges are being pulled out and you can hardly tell where the church ends and where the world begins. It shouldn't be happening, but it is, beloved. How many churches have discarded the head covering? How many go now to sit in the house of the King of Kings dressed in sloppy everyday wear? There's little respect for God or his house. How many of God's people turn on their television on the Lord's Day to bring the world in? Don't they see enough of the world in the other six days? How many calendars are published with Sunday as the seventh day of the week instead of the first? How many think Sunday ends as soon as they leave the morning service if, if they go to it? Now tell me, how's the hedge between you and the world? Is your language different? Are your actions different? Are your attitudes different? Are they such as become the child of God? How much of God's word do you take home with you every week? Do you ever take a pen and underline a verse that speaks to your heart? Or if the preacher says something that encourages you or challenges you, do, do you make a note of it on the side of the Bible page? I, I've been in meetings and I used to exhort our folk up in Tolly Fallon all the time. Whenever there was something that wanted them to pay particular heed to, take a pen, underline that verse. And they sat there. And some of them just sat the Bible in their name, not running down Tully Valen people, they're very good people. But there was always that individual who just would not unfold his arms. The Bible sat on his lap from the till I said Amen. He wouldn't even turn a page to turn up another reference. Why? People not interested? You know, when you consider that the human mind retains only ten percent of what it hears. That means that 90% of this message will probably be lost on you before next week. Sad, isn't it? Beloved, is, there not a, is this not a time to get serious about your walk with God? You want to be seen as a child of God. You've got to walk in obedience to his word. I was very encouraged. I mentioned Calgary. I was very encouraged out there. To see people's willingness to abide by and obey the word of God. I touched on the subject very briefly, has to be said, on the subject of head covering. I only mentioned it in passing in another message. But there was a young lady there who came every Sunday with no hat. But as soon as I mentioned that, the hat appeared. And she's been wearing it since. 
I've already talked about the need to get to the prayer times before the services. I'm, I labored that point, the importance of prayer, because I knew that a brother Armand was, was coming out soon. I had the privilege of being there in the meeting when he was called, and uh, they were so excited about his coming. And I was urging them to, to get behind this man with their prayers. And I, I, I referred to the, the prayer times before the services, mentioned one Sunday morning, that evening, a young girl in her 20s was in the prayer meeting for the first time before the service. She said, I never realized how important it was. When I see a response like that to the word of God, we, those points have been labored. These, these are elementary things to you and me, but these have been labored for years in our churches and people still ignore them. Why? What do we have to do to get people stirred up? Are you going to let the Lord down on this, beloved? Will you not ask the Lord to help you to get a hold of this? See that there is a gap. And that maybe you're the very one that he wants in that gap. We've mentioned our college. We have young men here. God's looking for young men and young women too. Go into the ministry, into the mission work. But if you're if you're past the age of Bible college, I don't know where the age of stops at. Take you in up to ninety nine, I suppose. But if you think you're past that age, you're not past the age of praying. Laying hold upon God. Beloved, I, I long for a breath of revival through this church of ours, through this province before we go down the tubes altogether and we just become history or an edifice to, to mockery is it not time to get serious about seeking the Lord I have to close it there our time is gone I'll not take time for a closing hymn but listen will you lift your heart to the Lord today say Lord by thy grace Help me to stand in the gap. Open my eyes. Show me, show me the need that lies to hand. And the Lord's not going to uh, send you to the far corners of the earth to serve him. He starts you at home. Lord, show me something on my doorstep. Give me a gap to stand in. And you give yourself to that. Who, who can tell where it will lead to? I don't believe God's finished with carried off. Maybe he's only, only getting started. God is you here for a purpose. Will you give yourself to the Lord to see that purpose fulfilled to his glory? That's by in prayer. God and our Father we thank thee for thy word Lord we have to confess we, all too often we, we do know there's a need but it's too easy for us to say well 
let somebody else attend to it. Lord, we ask thee for grace today to give ourselves, to say, here am I, Lord. Send me. Let me be the one to stand in the gap. We pray, Lord, that thou will give to us that heart that is surrendered and willing for the will of God. Surely, Lord, our land needs thee today. We need an outpouring of thy Holy Spirit. We, we, we see the carelessness that's abroad. We see the godlessness that is creeping in. We see, Lord, even professing believers willing to accept sin. We know it's wrong. Oh, we pray, Lord, bring our hearts, everyone, into tune with thy word. Help us, Lord, to make a fresh start even today. Apply the blood afresh. Take away from us not only our sin, but the desires after sin. Remove from us, Lord, this hankering after the things that pertain to the flesh. Forbid that we should waste away our days. As one of these days we're going to be called home to, to meet thee. We don't want to go home empty-handed and ashamed. Oh, we ask, Lord, come, breathe upon us. Fire our souls, we pray thee. Give us a fresh vision of Christ. And of a perishing world around us. Give us a burden to see thy kingdom extended. Thy name glorified. Write thy word upon our hearts, we pray of thee. Bless this company of people. Lord, strengthen their cords, we pray thee. Extend their coasts. Build up this work to thine own glory. And we pray that in all these things, Christ himself will indeed be exalted and his name be magnified in this district. Part us in thy fear. With thy favor speak on to every waiting heart. We ask it all in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.